Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Outside the Technical Area podcast. I am Daniel Olstead, and I want to just welcome everyone back again, and I hope you enjoyed listening to the first two episodes. Uh, I apologize, but last week I had to take a week off from doing it um, because duties outside of coaching called um, in terms of my club uh, duties, um, and I had to help out putting together and finishing up a, uh, a fundraiser night for our club, a, a trivia night. So that's why I did not get to do a podcast last week. So I want to apologize for that. Um, and hopefully we'll get back on track this week. Uh, again, welcome back. I um, just want to let you know again that the podcast is available on a wide variety of platforms, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, um, as well as others. Um, and again, if you would like to reach out, we are on Facebook at Outside the Technical Area on Facebook um, and on Twitter at OTTA Podcast. And also you can reach us on email at Outside the Technical Area at gmail.com. Um, and with all that said, we'll, we'll dive into our next episode. Um, and this one um, is something that I've thought about over the past couple of months. Um, maybe maybe a little bit longer than that um, in in what how I've been coaching um, and over the years um, and how I hear other people coaching or see other people coaching um, so this is more related to to coaching and even pr- possibly uh, as parents coming into things um, as possibly as parents and how we communicate with our players um, so today's episode is for me entitled the words we use and my question today, and the one that I've been pondering over the last little bit, is do the words we use when coaching, or as parents, when we're, when we're maybe discussing the, the game with our, with our players, do they have an impact, positively or negatively, on player development? Uh, and I'm going to look more along the words we use that could have a, a negative impact on our players, player, uh, on our player development, um, especially at younger ages. Um, so one of the things that we, we don't necessarily think about, other than making sure as coaches we're hitting the, the right words in terms of how we're presenting topics, whether it's a technical session or a tactical session or telling a kid something to do in a game. Um, sometimes we don't think about the words that we're going to use before we say them and the effect they might have. Um, so for me, I'm thinking about words like never or don't and can't and should not um, and always and must. Those words that are really strictly one-dimensional words that don't leave any room for for interpretation you know if if we're told you never can do this that means i have no option that that's not a choice there's no other choice i have to do something different or you shouldn't do this that means well that isn't an option anymore i can't i can't do that i have to or i can't do a i must do B, C, or D. A is out of the equation. Um, and for me, when we use those types of words, we're, we're limiting our players' development mentally um, because the game isn't just about 
your technical skill or your tactical understanding um, or your physical prowess. Um, obviously, those things are very, very important. Um, but it's also about players' decision making. And especially when we're dealing in the younger age groups, let's say U8, U9, U10, where we're really trying to form that decision making process and hone that in um, because that's an integral part of the game. When we use words like never and shouldn't and always and must, we're stifling the player's ability to decide for themselves and we're stifling their ability to be creative in their own mind and to make those choices, right or wrong. Um, and when we use those words, I think ultimately it comes down to as an adult, as a coach, as a parent, us fearing for a player's failure or us fearing that the team is going to lose or us fearing that they're going to put their teammates in in, in jeopardy of, of not succeeding on the basis of results. But are we then giving them a path of being unsuccessful by stifling that by the words that we use. So I'll give you an example. And this is something that we hear all the time uh, <laughs> on the field. Um, let's say we are coming out of the back. We're going from our goalie up through the back, through our fullbacks um, on one side or the other and trying to get the ball up the field. And the ball comes outside and the fullback passes it back into the middle um, towards either the center back or to the goalkeeper. Um, and whether the pass is successful or not, and more ultimately this, this word comes out or this phrase comes out when it's an unsuccessful pass and a goal is either scored or almost scored, um, we ultimately look towards the fullback and say something along the lines of never pass it across the back never pass it in front of the goal never pass it through the middle now i don't know if you've watched a lot of soccer over the years um recently there's some champions league games on today um and then there'll be a bunch of premier league games and bundesliga games and la liga games on this weekend as well um and i do believe that they do pass the ball across the goal. Um, and they do do it on a pretty regular basis. Um, so to say never pass it across the goal is actually false. Because it happens regularly. What you're actually telling the kid, the child to do when you say never pass it in front of the goal is don't pass it in front of the goal because I'm afraid you're going to make a mistake and they're going to score on us, and we're going to lose. Because in that position as a fullback on the outside of the field, a player has multiple options. They can play it, let's say, up the line towards you know a, a forward or a midfielder. They could play it back into the middle towards a center midfielder. They could try to dribble 1v1 against the, the, their opposing striker or opposing winger. Um, they could pass it back to the goalkeeper. They could kick it out of bounds if they so choose. They could try to play a long ball across the field all the way to the opposite midfielder. They could pass it to the middle to the center back. But the point is, is that there's options on the field for that player. And when you take one of those options away, the next time they get the ball, 
they're now limited in those choices. Um, and they may no longer make the right choice now because now the next time they get the ball, what if the only option they have is their one, let's say outside midfielder, and there's four defenders around that player. And then if they look back into the middle, there's no one around their center back or their goalkeeper who they can pass it to. And maybe would help us change the field and get to a better point of attack. But the last time they were unsuccessful, they were told never do that. And again, never leaves no option. Never means there's not a choice. Never means don't do it again. So even though they might look and say, ooh, they're open, coach told me never do that. So instead, I'm going to try to force a pass into this player who's covered by three, four players, and we're probably going to lose the ball. And then they come back down and possibly get a scoring chance. When, in hindsight, we could have pulled the ball back through our center back, changed fields, and gotten out of, of the, the back that way. But because we were told never, or you can't do that, or you shouldn't do that, does that now stifle the development of the decision-making process in the player? And I think it, it does dramatically. Because now that player is thinking, I never can go back to the middle. And maybe they're eight, maybe they're nine. And that could go on through the rest of their life. Um, or, their, or their young playing career um, through, their, through their ranks. Until it gets changed. And once that habit or that behavior is ingrained from an early age of never do this, never do that, never do this, never play it across the middle, always look outside, always play it outside, that habit becomes or that behavior becomes very difficult to change. I've had players who I've taken on in later years who played maybe for another coach early on in their, in their um, playing, um, their U8s, their U9s, their U10s, have come on, and we've had this discussion. My coach always used to tell us we have to play it outside. We have to play it outside. Never play it back across the goal. And I've had to help in getting them to understand that there's a decision-making process to it. There's choices. And it can't always be outside. Again, always means every time you get the ball, this is what you do with it. So if, again, we can say never play it across the middle in front of the goal, or we can say always play it outside, they have the same effect. They limit the options. So my coach said always play it outside. So that's what I do. I get it, and I'm always playing it outside. Well, what if the outside isn't open? What if there are no openings there? Are you always going to play it there? But that behavior was ingrained from an early age. So now it's, hey, you can't always play it there. Because it might not be the right choice. There might not be an option there. Your, your teammate, the space might be taken away for that pass. So what's the other option? Well, the other option is to either go back to your goalkeeper Go back to your center back. Possibly go into your center midfielder. But now we have to formulate choices. We have to formulate decisions. And because that decision-making process was so restricted at an early age, getting them to recognize and change that pattern of thinking becomes very difficult. 
So we have to make sure that when we use words, we're finding the right words and finding the right way to say things. So maybe instead of telling a player they can never play it across the middle, or they always have to play it to the outside, we have to guide them into the choices that are, that are going to be the best and the most optimal decisions that they can make. When do we play it back into the middle? When do we play it to the outside? Maybe that wasn't the best choice at that time, but here are other options. But that's still a choice, that's still a decision that you can make in this scenario. Right? So when can we make that choice to play it and to back it towards the middle? When can we make the choice to play a long ball to our striker? When do we make the choice to play it outside to our to our outside midfielder? When do we play it back into our center midfielder? Right? I feel like never and always are lazy ways of coaching. And they're fearful ways of coaching. And it's not fearing for anything other than losing. And that has nothing to do with player development when we get right down to it. When we start restricting choices, restricting development, restricting the decision-making of players, what it is is us as coaches or adults being fearful of results-based success, wins, losses, standings-based success, right? Where maybe if we're worried about player development and we don't use the words never and always and we guide them and we help them find the right decisions when the right time is, the success is actually that player making maybe a, 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 a poorer decision to play it back into the middle at one point. Losing the ball, them scoring the goal or getting a goal scoring chance. And that player then learning from that experience to make decisions on their own of when can I play it back into the middle or when do I need to play it to the outside and watching the growth from there because that's player development when we look at that player as a person as an individual and help them find solutions to enhance their level of play not to be fearful of playing it across the middle because we might lose the ball and they might score a goal. Or always play it outside because it stays away from the goal. Time, there's, there's a time and a place for any of those scenarios. And we've got to guide that player in. And we've got to make sure we use the right words, the right phrases, the nevers, the always, the can'ts. Right? They need to kind of exit the vocabulary a little bit. Right? I catch myself all the time at practice saying sometimes or, or in a game saying, hey, you, you can't do that. And then I actually stop and rephrase it and I, and I explain, well, you actually can do that. But here might be the better solution. Here might be the better choice, the better option, another decision. Here's choice A, B, C, D, E, or F. 
you can do what you've just done. But here's the other choices that you have, and here's what I see as a coach that might help you in this situation. Right? To tell a player they can't do something is kind of crazy because obviously you're telling them they can't do something that they've just done. So they can do it. Successful or unsuccessful, they can do what they've just done. So saying you can't do that doesn't make sense to me. And I've, I've changed my vocabulary a lot or I try to catch myself when I'm using that those words, the nevers, the always and the can't and the should have, you know, the should, um, should not have to must. Um, th those are things that in terms of player development have, have really started to, or, or for a period of time now have exited my vocabulary, but I hear them enough where I think this is a topic that, that deserves a little bit of question, a little bit of interest, a little bit of, a little bit of thought and a little bit of conversation the words we use have an impact. It's not just the yelling and the screaming um, or anything of that nature. Um, it can just be simple words. On the flip side, there, there are positive messages that we send that can lead to better player development. The positive reinforcements, you know, the, the attaboys, the, the well-dones, the, the catching them being good, you know, finding those times where they've made the right decision and really reinforcing that and, and clapping them for that and giving them the praise that they deserve for that. Because, again, that's going to stick in. That was a good decision. It's a good choice that I made. Coach, coach found me making a good decision. That made me feel good. Those are the things that are going to stick. All right, so making sure we find the right words to say the right phrases are important. And again, if you have uh, thoughts on, on the subject of, of the words we use, please you know reach out, email outside the technical area at gmail.com or leave us a, you know, a little note on Twitter at OTTA podcast or on our Facebook, um, facebook.com backslash outside the technical area. Um, would love to again hear from you in terms of you know starting a conversation again I think the words that we use as coaches and as parents uh, and in how we communicate with our players is is important um, finding the positive messages um, the right words not the ones that don't leave any room for decision making anymore because again it's not just about players technical skill or their tactical understanding or their physical abilities um, if there's also the, the decision-making process in being a player. And when we stifle that through the words that we use, we limit the player's ability to grow. All right, and now I want to get into a, a question that was asked of me um, by one of uh, the listeners, um, sent it in to me. Um, and it's one that I guess I don't think about regularly, um, but something that, does is very important um, into who I am today as I, as a coach and not only just a coach as a, as a person as well um, and and the question was who are coaches from any sport that have shaped your philosophies as a coach um, 
and this kind of brought me back thinking about it through some you know some nostalgia um because looking back through the years of being an athlete um whether i was five or 18 or 19 or however old um i think every person and every coach i had impacted me not only as a coach or who i am today on the field or as a director um but also impacted me as a person um and and that's one of the things that i think we forget about as times as coaches is that not only are we impacting the player but we're impacting the person so even as an adult the the coaches i've worked with um have impacted me not only as as a coach but as a person as well um so it, it was an important thing to to look at this question and and try to and try to come up with that answer obviously i think it was an easy thing for me to answer because i've known obviously for a long time who the the people are that impacted me both positively and negatively um because there's coaches who i worked with as player as a player um and there's coaches who i've worked with you know in my coaching career that have um I guess I'm not sure if negatively is the right word, but I've taken um, a negative view of how they've they've conducted themselves or their you know their their coaching, um, and said, well, I wouldn't use that or I wouldn't do that or that's not how I'm going to do things, um, and that shaped how I am today too. So I'm not just thinking about the positive shaping. I'm also thinking about the the opposite side of that. The things that as a player I experienced or as a coach I've experienced from peers and colleagues that I look at and say, not necessarily how I'm going to do things, not necessarily how I'm going to operate. That's, that's in, I, I know that side of it and that's not how I'm going to be. Um, but if we're looking at coaches who shaped my philosophies, um, either consciously or unconsciously, um, there's, there's really three Especially on the soccer side of it, so we'll stick. I'll stick to the soccer side of it. Um, there's three people who really shaped me um, and how I do things um, and, and how I conduct myself as a coach um, in terms of how I view the game. Um, my first was my club coach. Um, his name was Charlie Anderson. Um, just a, a great person. Um, biggest heart ever um never i don't think i can remember him ever saying a an an unkind word um to a player um or or a a like we just talked about um a kind of a negative way of thinking or a negative way of shaping phrases or shaping how he presented things to us um as players um and really allowed us as players in the group of the group that we had throughout the years as a club, um, on our, on our team to really be the players that we could be, um, was not restrictive in how he did things. Obviously there was, you know, expectations and rules and, and all the things that go into it, but as players and, and what I felt as a player is I was allowed to be, the player I wanted to be within a team concept. I had the freedom to be myself as a player. Um, I didn't never felt restricted that I couldn't try things or that I couldn't, or that I could make, you know, or, or that I would make a mistake 
and it would be held against me or um, that, you know, I was going to receive a, a tongue lashing <laughs> um, for making a, or being yelled at for making a mistake. It was just a very positive environment that he put together for us as players. Um, and I took that and I remember that and I want the players that I coach to have that same experience, that same positive feeling, that same freedom of expression, um, that same lack of fear uh, mentality. Um, and we were also given that never say die type of attitude as well um and and the constant effort and pushing till the end um that was that was ingrained in us as well um along with all the the skills that we needed to have as players um the decision making the the tactical understanding all those things were given to us in combination with with just that that right environment that allowed us to thrive and be the best that we could be as individuals and as a team. Um, and I think it's a, a testament to, to him um, that a lot of us from that team, I think, I forget the exact number, out of a 16-player roster or 18-player roster, a number of us, uh, quite a few of us, well, I think, you know, close to almost the whole team went on to play at the next level in, in college. Um, and I think that's, you know, in some way, shape, or form, we, we a lot of us went on to play. Um, and I think that is a huge testament to how he did things is because we were able to thrive in, in that environment and grow as players um, through the positivity, through the enjoyment, through the, the camaraderie. Because he was a coach, he was a friend, he was a mentor, he was, he was everything a coach needed to be. Um, so I look back at that experience throughout my age from 12 to 18 um and not only did that impact me as a player it impacted me as a person and my how i now kind of deal with the players that i deal with on a daily basis or you know how i deal in my own family life situations or my own personal situations um those experiences that that he gave us um in that positive environment were things that have have touched me and and carried on through my life um, moving on, uh, my next one was my high school coach and then who later became a, a coaching peer uh, colleague um, was Andrew Sadowski, my coach at Southold High School. Um, we were a little community, a little school out on the eastern end of Long Island um, uh, with a big soccer tradition. Um, and he was a person that, again, saw the best in me um, and pushed me for that. Um, wasn't always, um, I would say, you know, from a lack, you know, not, not in a negative way, not in a bad way, wasn't always the most easygoing or we didn't always have what I would say is the most, the, the easiest relationship as I was a player. Um, we had a great relationship, but he pushed me. Um, and it, as a player that can be frustrating at times, um, and, it, and you can question why why is he always on me or why is he harassing me or why is he bothering me? Um, why is it always me sort of thing? But he pushed me day in and day out um, because he saw the potential in me as a player. 
um, saw the potential in me as a leader of a group um, you know and and those were things at the time as a as a as a young player that you get frustrated with <laughs> because I was being pushed and I didn't and I under and and I knew my potential but I didn't understand why I needed those pushes all the time and some players need those pushes just for the experience of of getting better to not be complacent to to not be the you know to not get passed by um, to really meet reach their maximum potential um, and he was that coach for me that really in a positive way maybe not always in the you know arm around the shoulder hey it's gonna be okay kind of way there was there was some you know there was some pushing in the right direction in a in a more assertive type of way um, but I needed that as a player um, at times I needed that um, so I didn't become complacent about things um, it wasn't my mental attitude to become complacent and not push myself but having that coach that that did see that potential in me and want to push me further made a huge difference um, also he was obviously just he, he was also a teacher in my school um, and we did develop a, a good relationship through the years um, both on the field and off in the classroom outside of the uh, outside of the classroom um, to the point where I later um, became a coach throughout the that system through a week you know our, our high school system um, first you know him asking me when I was about 19 to, to coach the varsity boys team during the the annual summer league that they played in um, again a daunting prospect um, but again someone who put their trust in me to work with players who were not much younger than me um, so to be given the reins in that uh, in that venue at that age um, was a little crazy to me um, looking back on it now um, but also started pushing me in the direction of becoming a coach. Um, I didn't really have any thought at that time of becoming a coach. Um, I still was playing. Um, I didn't necessarily think about coaching. I was going to school. I wanted to be a teacher, um, or so thought I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and he gave me that trust to say, Hey, I see you as someone who could handle this, um, situation not only on the field but also the responsibilities that coaching takes off the field the organizational um, aspects of it um, you know so and then later on I became his assistant for the varsity team and then the JV head coach um, at the school and spent four years there um, coaching and working with him and we traded ideas and thoughts and concepts and one of the big things that you know I took from him was the professionalism that has to go in and this was as a player beforehand and as a coach after was was the professionalism that you have to conduct yourself with um, the right attitude having things organized having things set out having a plan of attack um, every single day as to what you're trying to accomplish you know, going into practices, not just thinking, okay, we're going to do this today, but what's really, what are we really working on today? What do we want? And then on top of that, what I took from him is being open-minded. Um, again, I was young. He had been coaching for a long time. Um, I remember coming to him with some different preseason ideas. Um, 
and him being very open-minded and accepting of those ideas and actually taking a few of those ideas on board. Um, you know, maybe trying to throw out some of the old mentality of running and running and running and running and running and running without ball um, for fitness and starting to include more actual play in the fitness that we were trying to achieve in the players, more game-related fitness rather than cross-country or track-related fitness. Um, and I think, you know, again, that open-mindedness to coaching, um, that, that drive to succeed um, and push players to be as successful as they could be um, have shaped, again, my, my philosophies and how I'm dealing with not only older players but younger players as well. Um, and, and finding the right ways to push them the right ways to, so that they can reach their potential, to, to lead them to bring, not only myself, to bring a professional attitude to my sessions, um, but also having the players bring a professional attitude to what's going on. Um, that, that when we're on the field, this is how we conduct ourselves. You know, our, our school team, our, our high school team, was very steeped in tradition. Um, and it carries on today. Um, how we walk onto the field, how we walk off the field, how we get on the bus, how we get off the bus, the music that we listen to on the bus, the music that we listen to getting off the bus for away games, the 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 way we conduct ourselves around school on game days, what we wear to school, what we didn't do. You know, those things were important. They were a part of our culture. Um, so. Again, not just the professionalism, but creating a culture um, and trying to create a culture around what we do um, because that helps us succeed. It's not just on the field, X's and O's and technical stuff, but there's also a culture behind it and a professionalism that we have that helps us succeed. The last coach that really helped shape my philosophy was, was really the last, the, the first coach in a, in a club system as a coach that I worked with. Um, his name's Eddie Hackett. Um, still coaching in New York. Um, fantastic coach. Um, just a great human being as well. Um, and one of the, the top people that I've ever worked with in, in my life um, in terms of coaching. Um, knowledge of the game far surpassed a lot of people that I had worked with at that point. Um, he had a you know a good playing background um, coming from England um, and a different view that I hadn't necessarily experienced before. Um, all the views that I had really experienced were all American views, um, bar a few here and there um, in terms of coaching. But to have uh, an English or a, you know a European view of the game um, again was a big educational impact to me um, in terms of how I did things. Also, again. You know, we had a good personal relationship off the field, which allowed us to to talk um, about things that were outside of the field that revolved around coaching um, and being in the in the world of coaching um, and you know family life or things like that that helped shape me in how I conduct myself on and off the field. Um, so, and then in terms of philosophies. You know, really, you know, I think what I got from him um, was, again, pushing the players, but really letting them enjoy it, putting the player first, not worrying about results 
because the results will come if you do the right things, if you're doing the right steps with each and every player on your team. Um, I can remember one of the teams we had and that he coached at the club we were at um, took some absolute batterings when they were young. Um, real, you know, we watch them and, and it, would, it was the classic trying to pass and move and dribble and take people on and, and trying to get kids to do the things the quote-unquote right way at a young age, um, playing against teams that might have had the big center back and the fast forward and they'd lash it forward and, you know, go score and they might they might take some beatings that way but he never lost that confidence that he was doing the right things for the players and years down the line as they started to get older it started to pay off because that team then started to flip the table on those teams who weren't necessarily learning the soccer aspect of the game um, and they were just playing kick and run or you know what have you and the the, the results-based, um, you know, win-loss started to change. And that team and that group of players became a very, very high-level team throughout the Northeast region. Um, and that sticks with me to this day because I think at times we're so quick to want results in terms of wins and losses and what division we're playing in and why we're in that division and how come that we forget that if we're doing the right things, there's going to be slow, steady, incremental growth that's going to pay off more than immediate, you know, instant gratification results on the weekend of a win and a loss or a tie. Trying to find that, you know, that that happy medium in this day and age of a slow, steady, acceptable growth that's not going to be a straight shot. It's going to be a roller coaster. There's going to be ups and downs, but doing the right things are going to pay off. Um, so for me, he was very impactful in getting me to recognize that, especially in working with the younger age group players, is that we have got to look in the long-term vision rather than the short-term instant gratification in terms of you know wins and losses and sometimes we lose players out of our systems when we think that way and sometimes players come in to our system when we think that way sometimes parents are happy when we do that sometimes parents are upset when we do that because unfortunately we're still battling a system where wins and losses determine whether or not you're doing well even at young ages over watching the actual growth of individual players um, so for me those are the three three coaches from my own personal life experience um, not just watching on tv or reading a book but from my personal life experience in terms of soccer that really had the most impact on me Obviously, there's people in and around those venues, in and around those others um, that had impacts on me as well. Um, coaches that I've worked with here now in Missouri, um, coaches that I work with currently, I have been, have, have, have helped shape or reshape my thinking and my philosophy throughout the time. Um, but those are the coaches that for me, I think positively 
have impacted me the most over the years in terms of my philosophy. Um, and then again, there's coaches that I worked with or was played with when I was in little league and things like that, that I look back and I, and I will never ever coach like them. Um, so they've helped shape my philosophy as well. Um, and I think those are the important things to look at too, is not just the positive impacts or the people that you've taken things from, but also the people that you've coaches that you've said, I'm not going to borrow that. I'm not going to use that. That's not how I'm going to be. Um, but again, I just wanted to look at those three people that were really positive impacts on, on how I think and how I do things. Um, again, I appreciate you coming to listen to the Outside the Technical Area podcast. Um, again, if you have any questions, comments, or anything, or have a or, or want to reach out in any way, um, you can do so through email at gmail, um, outside the technical area at gmail.com, on Facebook, facebook.com backslash outside the technical area, or on Twitter at OTTA podcast. Um, again, you can find all these podcasts. Um, on a multiple venues, um, and make sure if you haven't listened to, to all of them that you go back and check out the other ones. Um, again, I appreciate all the support. Um, I never thought that these would get as many listens as they have got so far. Um, so I look forward to keep on doing this. Um, and again, uh, help me out. And if you have any questions, um, coaching, parent roles, um, anything at all, please reach out. Again, I appreciate your time. And I hope you enjoyed this one. And I hope to, uh, See you again next week.